From the backwoods and the swamp waters of the Sunshine State and all across America and the world, this is the Big and Wild Outdoors with your host, Braden Gunn, Jonathan Swindle, and Bill George. Welcome back. Hour three? Are we, are we in hour three yet? Yes, we are. Wow. Hour three. And Braden just walked out the he, door. He turned around. He had a whole list of things he wanted to do, and he's he's not even here to cover it. He had to go get a sweet tea. So, no, I turned around. He was making fun of me because I was trying to check out Dave Owens' uh, turkey hunts. He had posted two of the different turkey hunts from Pennsylvania when he came up and Hunted with us up there in Pennsylvania, the land around the house, and uh, he was successful. I tell you, man was, uh, he's one of these people who have a very large following out there. Yes. And it just was incredible. He came into camp. He very quickly found a turkey. Then he turned around and killed said turkey inside of 24 hours. And then... He turned around instead of being like a lot of people, just get up and run to the next state. He stayed, he relaxed, he chilled out with us, and uh, that's a part of took, it. Took another guy who had been on a bird, took him out the next day, and uh, helped him kill the bird. And then he was, I still eventually say, off to Maine. Team there. sport. Yeah, no, it, it, camp life is great. I mean. Uh, you know, I right now I'm I'm working hard to get stuff ready for camp. I got those two hundred and fifty five gallon drums that uh just managed to acquire from Culligan over there in Plant City. They were they were good enough to give me a, a really good deal on them. There so, you go. But uh now now shower water is 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 gonna be flowing and I don't have to haul water be a ration. every two minutes. So Hey, and everybody that shows up, bring 25 gallons hey, with them. Hey, Listen, guess what? They, I, had Listen. A, I had a guy that, that came into camp. He must have taken five showers every day, and he would burn so much water. And it's, it, you know, I, it, I want people hey, to enjoy it. Hey, themselves. do you like the uh, ammunition stuff? Brain has to do at work. Well, you get five. It, it, here you, you go, one, buddy. Here's your five minutes. <laughs> you get one day, one day only. Well, we <laughs> we turned around back back when we got started. We could turn around, heat up a pot of water, and and make five gallons worth of shower water, and get two people have a shower off of five gallons of water, and 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 be good with it. It's like I said. It's amazing. And you talk about that, and I remember it like it was yesterday with my uncle great one of my uncles who's passed on when we went to new mexico one year you know things got a little hairy out there the water worked but the hot water heater didn't work and all the other stuff and we had to do the old boil the pot on the stove for your bath water and it's little things like right. that like you said that make things a little Listen, more enjoyable you 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 wet down it's, turn it off lather up Rinse off, and you're good. Yep. But no, they like to turn around and just stand 
underneath the free flowing water. Yes. And I, I want people to enjoy themselves. So, yeah. you know, having potentially 300 gallons on site on a regular basis, you know, it, it you take a few showers. Yes. One or two. One or two. <clears throat> I, as I always said when I was at deer camp, as long as I could get a shower every three days, I was fine, but I had to brush my teeth every single day. Mm-hmm. I, uh, to me, being able to get up in the morning, brush your teeth, that right there, just having a clean mouth and a clean start, the rest of it could stink to high heavens. I don't care. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, g- give me a shower about I don't every want three fuzz days. on my teeth. I just don't want to walk around with, uh, as my... Uh, my uh, Cajun uncle used to say, with a bouquet of you-know-what's in my mouth. So <clears throat> that's what he used to <laughs> That was his big thing. I uh, asked the boys during one of the breaks. I was trying to figure out. I got a story out of Philadelphia that I thought was pretty amusing I, until I started looking into it. I was trying to, when I asked you guys, do you know of any birds that fly at night? I mean, I know night herons well, uh, fly around here you know, in Florida, but for the most part, I don't we, see birds we, flying we, at night, do you? Yes, yes. There's some birds out my way. Um, I don't know what you – we called them night hawks or something like that. They, But they do. They're well, flying. Whippoorwills will fly during oh, the night. You oh, know, yeah. that's when they hunt. I mean, but they're literally like this close to being a, a bat anyway. But mm-hmm. uh, whippoorwills will fly at night. But I'm talking about migratory, and I said, you know, I don't ever remember – I've seen geese early, 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 yeah, early, early geese. in the mornings. It may be daylight where they're flying well, out did, up yeah. there, but it's not daylight down here on the ground. Yeah, and I've seen them, you know, in the evening when you would think that they would, you know, uh, be looking for a place to land and all that kind of stuff. So the reason why I say that is because the story came out of Philadelphia that they're doing a thing up there that's um, where they're turning. It's called Lights Out Philly Initiative where they're asking people, it's a voluntary program, to turn off any external or internal lights in a building at night or dim the lights uh, during spring or fall because you have all these birds to prevent millions of migrating birds that pass through twice a year from smashing into skyscrapers and uh, buildings as they fly. And uh, this artificial lights, it says, attract, it says the problem of artificial lights attracting birds to their deaths in the city is not new. I, I, I've i never experienced that I, here unless it was drunk robins listen. that would fly into the radio station here every once in a while. You could have no lights on your house and a glass window, and they're going to fly into the side oh, of it. Oh, so in other words, we're doing the turtle technique on the birds now. I, I guess it, it says that the, the Lights Out Philly program runs from April 1st, which I thought was an April Fool's thing, through uh, May 31st, and from August 15th to November 15th. Property managers and tenants are asked to voluntarily switch off lights between midnight and 6 a.m., especially in buildings, upper levels, lobbies, and atriums. And I was sitting there going, I was like, what, what birds fly at night? I mean, I don't, I don't see that here. I mean, except for, uh, they used to call them skeeter hawks, you know, the, the, the uh, whippoorwills, and then bats. And then uh, night herons, they, but but they don't fly fly. They only, like, you know, fly a little bit oh, to my, another ditch. My, and these birds fly at night out my way. There's there's a bird. It, it, I don't know how to. It, 
They're, they're the ones that dive bomb, screech and, and come dive bombing, you know. <laughs> Those are whippoorwills. No, 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 no. Not, yeah, not, a, not a whippoorwill. This thing will go three, yes. 400 feet high and come swooping down. And you'll hear their wings when they pull back up go. That's not a whippoorwill. Yes, it is. It is. I'm telling you, it's the same thing. It's a whippoorwill. I almost shot one one night, not on purpose, <laughs> but. Self-defense. I, I turned around. I finally got gun cleaning my shotgun, and I went out to go in the backyard, and it was pitch black. <laughs> and I turned around, and I pulled the trigger twice just to make sure it was cycling good. <laughs> and, and that bird took off screeching. <laughs> it's like, I didn't shoot him. I didn't hit him. We used to come out here where this building is right now, and I've told this story a million times, and we used to shoot guns out here, and we used to dove hunt here. But this was like a salt flat. It was like a sandy flat, tidal flat, because you still see the mangroves and stuff over there. And we would be out here, and during the evening when the sun would come out, you'd hear Sunshine Speedway go into town. You'd have the beautiful smell of uh, Toy Town wafting over from the beach. And then you'd have bull bats over there f- fluttering around, and then they would dive down. And when they pull back up, you'd hear them do that, where their wings vibrate. When Bring they it in, boys. In. And they would be out here all over the place. And then they'd be over here in the woods, right here, right there, where we're sitting here. And when they got full of mosquitoes or bugs or whatever they were eating, they'd be over there, whip or whip. I guess wood ducks would count, too. They would be all over the place. So I had to go look. So the only ones I could find are thrushes, vireos, nuthatches, and sparrows are just some of the ones that fly during the night during migration periods. I don't think you have to worry about pigeons or like I said, wood ducks seagulls. Be there too. It's a darn good thing those skimmers don't fly at night because those. You ever seen the beaks on those things? It'd be like flying long darts. Get one of those in the chest and it's over. It's a Steve Steve Irwin thing all over again. Uh, don't go there. I'm over here, Bill George. I see you. All right, taking a break. I'm not, I'm not taking a hit at Steve Irwin. Taking a break. Big Wild Outdoors. No, I was <laughs> lost in Die- our own world. Die- man. Diego's looking at me. I'm looking at Diego like uh, Jonathan's just sitting here with his headphones on, giggling. <laughs> okay. Skeeter Hawk, Nighthawk, Whippoorwill. I, I mean, got the I got Lord. the two bird people in here comparing. It's, like, uh, it's in here uh, now. It's become where the ornithologist. No, it's a chicken here. hawk. No, it's. <laughs> Well, I can tell you, whatever's in my backyard. I'll say, I'll say, I'll say. <laughs> whatever's in my backyard that uh, flies around at night is not 
a whip a will. Um, it, it just has a totally different head than a, a whip a will. It's more like a, I don't know. It, it's just not a whip a will. Bull bat. But it it, it, it it definitely flies around at night, all over the place. You you go out there with the light, you shine. It's it's running around the yard, and then off it takes up in the sky. Yeah, that's uh, the. the uh, I, I was reading as I was going through these little articles here. It was like, where have all the whippoorwills gone? <clears throat> because when I was a kid, they were all over the place around here. And now they're gone. And then, <clears throat> then you go down, and there's a couple other ones. How to get rid of whippoorwills <laughs> because they drive people insane. Oh, they drove my areas. daughter crazy. There was one that would be outside of her her dorm when she was at University of North Florida that would just drive her crazy. <laughs> and when you start to get on her nerves, it just... Baby bad. gun time. You're not going to shut that thing up. And, uh-uh. and you know what? They're almost impossible to find in the woods. I mean, if you go out with a flashlight and all that stuff looking for them, they are so well camouflaged. I, that, I, I can mean, tell you right where to find them. Where, where is that? <laughs> right in the middle of the limestone road. <laughs> Sometimes. Because <laughs> come here this time of year, when I'm driving out of the woods, you know, I hunt areas where they lock a gate. If you're not on the other side of the gate, they lock it. And they drive off, and you're locked in. And uh, so, I, being one who kind of pushes things to the last minute, sometimes I'm coming out 60, 70 miles an hour, huh. and then there's that whipple wheel, and he just doesn't get out of the road until the very last. Huh. Last How did Ron White say it about the white-tailed deer? Man, I shot that deer with my 30 and out six. Oh, yeah, well, I hit one going 55 miles an hour with the lights on and the horn blowing. Yep. Kill it dead. So there have been a couple that didn't get out of the road, but uh, kind of like for the squirrels. most part, they they make you slam on the brake because you think they're not going to leave, and then they get up and leave, and it's like ah. No offense, I, the, love, the worst, I love my truck too much for uh, listen. You know the worst part is as they get out of the road at the last available second, you would think they would just get up, let you go by, and go back behind you. No, they fly a couple hundred yards down the road and light back down on the road out in front of you again. Because they can see where they're landing now because you're lighting it up for them. I love this. I just stay ahead of them. Just keep leapfrogging, and I'll find my way all the way out of here. That'd be awesome. In in a given year, I usually average about two whipple wheels that don't make it. How do they taste? How do they taste? Uh, You don't stop and pick them up? No. No, you I don't do, do the old dad trick where you're like slam on he the brakes. He doesn't have to. By the time he gets home, they're already plucked in the grill. Yeah, and cooked. It's, it's that'd be a fine. Uh, before we get into it too deep, I wanted to um, give myself plenty of time to do this because I'll, I'll probably not go through every single one of them. But as you know, if you've gone to a gun shop lately, you know that uh, ammo is still in short supply. But gun sales, as long as they're available, people are still buying them. And we talked about the surge in sales just before the election and all that stuff. But a new survey and new numbers came out since January. So let's go with, uh, you know, with uh, January starting the new year uh, all over again. We're looking at the new numbers. And U.S. gun sales in January, just in January alone, surged to uh, 60% increase. Uh, 4,137,480 firearms. 
that makes this the single month largest since it's ever been recorded in 1998 is when they started keeping track of the numbers. So as part of the trend, gun sales in the United States has risen altogether about 40%. Last year alone, 39,695,315. So my question was going to be to you guys, who do you think was the number one selling state when it came to firearms? Hmm. I always love these question and answer things with you guys. Hmm. If you were to take a guess, what would you think would be the number one state for firearm sales California. in the United States of America? California. <clears throat> California. California sold, since January, 134,432. Colorado. Colorado sold 65,051. So my state had more than his state. Diego, what is your guess? Which state had the largest gun sales? I mean, it's got to be in Texas, January. Right? Texas. Let's go to the let's go to the tote board. Texas had two hundred and twelve thousand two hundred and eight. Okay. In the month of January, I know Florida's got to be on there pretty high too. Florida, we did extremely well. We had one hundred ninety thousand eight hundred and seventeen, which is less than California in the month of January. No, it's actually more than California. California. Okay. I, I was, I was trying California to remember what you shouldn't be very high on that list, right? Who should? It shouldn't, right? Who, who shouldn't? California. California. No, California, you can still buy guns. It's just, you can buy yeah, them. It just like takes the, you like six years to get them. I mean, them. The, the mindset over there is a little different, right? Only, no. only no. in certain areas. I mean, you got to think, uh, once you get outside of any metropolitan area, like, uh, let's say, Los Angeles, San Diego, uh, Los Angeles, any of those ones like that. Once you get out, people don't realize that. Is L.A. that big? You had to say it twice. California is so huge. It is so monstrously huge. And I know you only hear about those, you know, three or four cities that are there. But you got to remember, all of Northern California is, it, dude, it's it's Rural. wilderness. Rural. I mean, when you have <clears throat> Mexican cartels out there with guys living in the National Forest growing multiple hundreds if not thousands of acres of pot and mm -hmm. no one can find them i mean it is it is wilderness out there i mean there are certain areas when you get out you drive outside of san francisco you turn left you go down there you go to the mirror woods and then you go find the coast road and you go up and you drive from the mirror woods to uh stinson beach and then you go down to the point Reyes lighthouse there's nothing there's nothing there there's like a few houses, a few mansions off on the side, uh, you know, nothing on the beach side whatsoever. I mean, it's just all coastline. Well, and it's yeah, all they just can't wilderness. put anything on the beach. But a state like maybe Alabama or maybe South Carolina, they'd probably have more than California, maybe. Alabama was below California, 105,602, which was really surprising to me was Alaska. Only nine thousand and eighteen, but there's not they don't have many people. Yeah, population. There's, there's not a lot. There's not a lot of people there. But uh, Florida would say I was pretty proud of the hundred ninety thousand eight hundred and seventeen, uh, and the top state, just so you want to know, beat everybody, which I would have never guessed this one in a million years because of the laws that it has within the state. 
New York. Illinois. Oh. One million to 118. They like their guns there. Over a million guns in Illinois in the month of January. So tell me who was freaking out the most. The state that has the most stringent gun laws in since in, well, in, uh, Chicago, since come on. Chicago, all those areas around there, Cook County, all those areas like that are huge. And they yeah, I wonder, a million. I wonder if they ever turned around and broke that down by county within that state where where all those guns were going. <clears throat> well, I'm sure that a lot of them were around that area. <clears throat> People leaving outside of Cook County and going to do it. By the way, your boys up in Pennsylvania, not too far behind Florida, 160,116. Mm-hmm. So I know they like them up there, too. And you would think that, you know, all them Southerners down there, you know, they're them crazy people with all them guns living down south. That's that's all there. Georgia, 92,903. Doesn't seem like a lot. Like I said, Alabama had a pretty good one, 105,000. Louisiana, 40,266. Let's see. Mississippi, 34,093. Missouri, Mm 72,234. Mm-hmm. Um, the lowest one on all of them is the Marianas Islands, which I didn't know were part of the United States with 27. So <laughs> 27 guns. Uh, Virgi- the Virgin Islands beat out them with 154 guns sold in the Virgin Islands. There you go. Legally. Or, Legally. or through background checks. Yeah. Puerto Rico, 4,377. So even the Islanders got in on the gig to get some, mm-hmm. there which you go. Uh, I thought was pretty interesting when you look at uh, the states like you would think Texas would have been great at 212, 208. So they did pretty good. They did better than everybody else for the most part, except for Illinois. It would be interesting to videotape a bunch of gun sales in the island and figure out what the most frequently used word is in that transaction. Man. <laughs> that would be Jamaica. You know what was really surprising? You've been holding that one for a while, hadn't you? <laughs> Which was really... I, I just kind of care. You think the things that keep you up at night? Sure. I, I One that I that caught me kind of off guard because I thought everybody lived in the state already had guns and wouldn't be concerned about it too much was Kentucky with 421,790. It's Kentucky. Wow. Well, I mean, you know, K- Kentucky boys, I know they, they buy a gun like they buy a pair of shoes. I, I know they like to have their guns, but I figured everybody already had I, some. Or I would say that the gun sales are going to take another bump up here with the next round of stimulus checks because, you know, we're, we're giving a lot of people money who who really aren't, aren't doing too bad. Um, so, you know. I heard about the guy who had... Um, over $280,000 in capital gains last year, and he's receiving a stimulus check. Oh, and he, yeah. And he promptly said, because, you know, capital gains is not earned income, so that, you know, it doesn't count. So he's going to get his stimulus check, and he's going to promptly donate it to the uh, Republican National Committee, <laughs> RNC. <laughs> we just donate it right back in. Nice. Which Mine's I thought was going to good. turkey camp. I figured it would. Yeah. Got more accusations. Acquisitions. I'm looking for a 30-inch propane, no electricity stove. Having a trouble finding one. I thought maybe you would be out, you know, maybe use it as a down payment to get that new truck from Brooksy or something. But I guess you're okay. Yeah. Oh, that one ain't dead yet. Hey.
ain't dead yet. It ain't dead till I shoot it on the side of the road. Man, it's all good. I'll take the tag off of it, watch it burn. Tires are still good. I just may have to replace all the metal. There you go. Taking a break. It is the Big and Wild Outdoors. Brought to you by Brand Ford. We'll be right back. Castles made of sand fall in the sea eventually. What? Plug your mic in, fool. <laughs> Welcome what? back. You know, it's funny you mentioned this song. I just watched a video of that guitar guy. I, I follow him on uh, social media. He, that it, guitar guy. It, there, yeah, there was a guy who, you know, does all the guitar stuff and world's most expensive guitars and things like that. He actually figured out and played the the notes from that song because that beginning is all reversed. It's it's backwards. It's Jimmy playing backwards on there. So he actually. Wait, what do you mean playing backwards? Play play instead, the play the beginning of, of the song instead of playing plucking the string up and down. He strings it up from down to up. No, when he recorded this, they ran it back backwards. If you listen to it, it's it's backwards. Play it. Can you, we can't hear it in here, so he's listening to it in there. If you listen to the background of it, the music in the background, you'll hear it. It's it's backwards. Ready? The one that you just played when you did the intro, is that it? That's not it. That's yep. somebody else's. That, that, that's it. No, the one that you played, is it off our you computer? You want vocals? Is that what you want? Yeah, the one that you played when you did the one that we... Oh, that was on the computer. This is on... Uh... Yeah, I don't... That one's not it. The one that has the vocals on it is all... Is backwards. So he figured it out and he actually played it forward so that you could play it backwards. Because you had to play it forward first, but nobody ever figured out the notes. It took him like a week to figure it out. Nice. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. It's just one of those things that keep you up at night. Uh, kind of like the fish swimming around lights. Yes, like <laughs> fish swimming around lights. If you were planning on going out to Texas this year to go get yourself a nice big old uh, Axis deer or go out there and get you some sort of specialty uh, critter, you know, on those big giant ranches, they got all those exotics out there, all that kind of stuff, you may want to call your outfitter and make sure that they still have some because they literally, after this, snowstorm that they just went through yeah lost literally more than half the population along with 60 percent of their black bucked antelope population out in texas you got to remember where they're from they're from hot uh environments you know the axis deer live over in uh, asia as in india kind of you know it's hot they're not used to cold weather or any of that kind of stuff like that and um, the uh, Exotic Wildlife Association is reporting that its uh, Axis deer population, they literally lost more than half in Texas, along, like I said, with 60% of the black-bucked antelope out there because of the freeze out there, all the people going on out there. 
they got uh, one ranch, the Texas Canyon Ranch, lost over 2,000 of their 4,000 axis deer. And in addition, roughly uh, 60% of their black buck antelope population also froze to death in the storms. Tragically, many of the non-native uh, deer never stood a chance because wow. they just they can't live in it and were unable to Not cope. built for it. When they got down to the single-digit temperatures out there lingering for days, they basically keeled over, and that was all she wrote. And, you know, that what's sad is um, the Axis deer population in Texas is literally larger than the population of where they're from natively, where oh. they're actually from. They've, oh, there they've, wouldn't be, like we've talked about it before, there wouldn't be any Axis deer if it wasn't for... <clears throat> Texas. Yeah, because they've exported a lot of those Texas ones back over to their native land because they've they've just reduced the population so greatly that just, even they, even the tigers are suffering. You know, I just got a text from Rob. He's still getting us almost down into Okeechobee now. Oh on, really? On the AM side, not even on the app. On the AM side. Down Okeechobee so, way? Yeah, yeah, we got it. We we push all the way over there towards uh, you know the east coast. Yeah, so. I know a lot of people listen on the app, and with the app you can listen anywhere you know in the world. But uh, that's true. But uh, anywhere in the world. But it, it it is amazing, you know how far that AM signal goes. A lot of people don't don't realize that. Yeah, east and west we go extremely far. They so. could probably hear us in South Texas if they have a good enough radio. Just go straight across the Gulf of Mexico and yeah. listen over there. And they'd be hearing us talking about their poor access population. By the way, these uh, ranchers, that's why I'm saying you want to call and make sure that you're going to go if they have what you're looking for. Because they literally say that it's going to take years to reach the uh, pre-2021 numbers that they used to have out there. Oh, if you just shut down and don't harvest anything for five years, you probably get there. You think so? Oh yeah, not no harvest one. You know, maybe they could do catch and release. Yeah, maybe they can. Maybe Ma- you can just like catch a uh, one offer and, tranquilizer hunts. <laughs> Trank hunts. They used to do that in Africa. Remember those? Oh, I, I guess they still, still do them for rhinos and stuff. Yeah, really. That's, that's you know green hunts. G two G two was looking at one time of going over there and doing one of the rhino things with the bow where they put it on the. The front of the bow when you tranquilize the, the rhino and I have that I have that discussion with all of my anti friends all the time of all the animals in Africa and everything else that green hunts like that the revenue generated giving value to the animals and everything just like we're talking about with axis deer and everything else with Texas and Texas was a a leader in it with the exotics and all that stuff like that, mm-hmm. they gave the animals value. I mean, period, end of discussion. And that's why they're still axis deer and black buck and, you know, all dad sheep. I mean, going down the list. Well, you know, they say that the most of the exotics that were affected by this, of course, were, you know, from India, Nepal area, like the axis deer, the mm-hmm. black buck, the antelope, and all that stuff. They like said they lost a few of the oryx that were out there were impacted. Uh, some of them were slow to move away as it continued. Uh, no red deer were lost. But they say, as always, one thing has survived. They didn't have to worry about any of them because none of them died. The pigs? The pigs. <laughs> Feral hogs are doing just fine. Those, well, I, those hogs, they have a way to get in there. and. Uh, 
I wonder if you if you lost that many access deer if like somebody's eaten really good for a while. Well, you know, if they're frozen and you know they're kind of flash frozen, well, I mean, uh, there's nothing wrong with them. You spend about, you know, a couple of Put them in the freezer to thaw them out a little bit and skin them out, do whatever. Well, that was like a, a friend of mine the other day. One of the things we were talking about, and his wife is kind of uh, anti, no, I won't say anti, but she's not against hunting. She's just, I don't understand. They're they're the, uh, like we were talking about earlier, why do you go, well, I can go to the store and get pork chops. Why do you have to go to the, you know, and we were talking about the heli hunting stuff and things of that nature, and that's what I told her. I'm like, I said, you know, they do that as an eradication. I said, but you realize they go out and pick that stuff up, and it's just like Al and them at Al's Wild Meats and everything else that, you know, they give it to homeless shelters. They do all kinds of stuff like that. That's the sad part about it is, like, what we're sitting here saying is you would think or you would hope that there would be somebody that would figure out a way to get out there and maybe at least get a couple of them up before. Dude, I'll volunteer to take a lot of that off their hands. Dude, if you've ever eaten access to uh, hey. <clears throat> It'd be one of those hunts that you'd uh, gladly volunteer to take anything off their hands that they, they need to. Are they still still doing stuff out there at Brahma? Uh, it's it's more private stuff now. It's not uh, really opened up to the public anymore. I, somebody had told me that might have sold a while back, but I don't know if that's true or not. I would have to say no to that. No, no. That that I would have to say no. That now line, the, now yeah. the hunting rights. Now, to have the hunting rights release it, that yes. might be one thing. But yes. to sell, I sat right there and watched uh, Mr. Lacey turn down $60 million for that island. Cash money. I'd be a check tomorrow. And he went, well, Shaq, I really appreciate the offer, but uh, I don't think it's for sale right I, about I now. I would like to go there once, just just to even ride around and look. We'll work on that. We can get you out there on an airboat. After you touch ground, you're on your own. I don't want shot. We, we might we might have to make a few phone calls for that. I'd like to go there. I, I I've been around it, killing alligators all around it, and seen all kinds of stuff from the water. But almost hit a buffalo. Oh, it'll hit back if you hit one. All right, we're gonna take a break. Big and Wild Outdoors, brought to you by Brandon Ford. Here we go. Braden, Bill, George, Jonathan, Diego, Carlos. Well, he's out in the woods today. Singleton. Yeah. We don't know where he is. Probably passed out somewhere yeah. under a home assassin. Home assassin. Yeah, on a oh, hammock no. somewhere. God bless him. That's what he's out there doing today. That's for sure. Uh, the last story I, I talked about with the uh, the ranches being lost, all the deer out there, and the uh, snowstorms and all that other stuff. And while I was Researching that story, I was looking at the the axis deer and all that stuff and how they've been migrated and moved around, especially here in the United States, which I thought was pretty interesting the way that they did that back in the days. Of course, they did it here in Florida as well. Uh, I remember back when they tried to bring in, you know, the Ohio stock and the northern stock and all those other deer that yep. 
that didn't make it because you know it was a little too warm and humid down here for them, so they didn't they didn't do too well. I know they they talk about the reason why some of the deer around the Green Swamp West area are so big. It's from some of those northern deer. That some of the in. genetics. There's well, that's because their offspring adapted to the environment. Blountstown, there's some of that walking around there, too. Oh, it gets a little cooler up in that area, too. Oh, you so. got his little deer. Yeah, so they can survive up there. But I thought one of the interesting <laughs> stories that came up when I was looking for this, it came out actually this month, was the strange story behind white-tailed deer in a foreign country that I would have never associated with white-tailed deer. Thailand. Well, yeah, that would be far from my mind as well, but no. It's a country. So Thailand's not a country? It's a country, so okay. I'm just saying it's a country. So I'm agreeing that Thailand is a what the hell? I don't get on with your story. We got the last segment. Come on. Can't roll it into next one. We're I was gonna say, what what country do you think it might be? And you of course your guess was very way off Thailand. No, I looked at something you would never guess, and that would have that was my guess of what you would never guess. Finland. 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 The original makers of the mustad hook. The Finland. The large Finland has the largest population of white-tailed deer in all of the uh, area over in the Europe whatever zone over there, with over a hundred and ten thousand white-tailed deer. They actually uh, were imported. Uh, it says here it's a vague reference that there's also white-tailed deer that was released on the Scottish Isle in 1832. Marks the earliest known release of the species into the wild outside of America. Documents from as early as 1870 indicate that a few white-tailed deer were shipped to Austria in Central Europe where they never thrived. And the last ones probably disappeared during World War II. That's because somebody I, was hungry. That's as I say, because those American soldiers are over there going, dude, that's a damn deer. Shoot that and thing. And I got a gun. <laughs> Shoot that thing. Put that Let me thing show you all how respect. we do this. Let me show you the difference between fresh meat and a can of beanie weenies. And if you don't think that's true, I can uh, point you to a few guys who were over in the kitty box over there that when they found uh, Saddam Hussein's private zoo, let's just say that there were a few of them that ended up over a spit. So that's just, one or two. Just saying. Uh, white-tailed deer were also, also introduced into Czechoslovakia on at least four occasions, 1853, 1890, and 1893, and in 1906, and a poorly reproducing population of about 700 still remain. Now, you turn around, you look at the python. Everybody's all up in arms about introducing a python, and... Here we are, we got something like a pheasant. Pheasants aren't from here, but we introduced them, and now everybody likes to go out and hunt pheasants. Because where they are, they really didn't compete with too much other wildlife out there. I mean, you had some prairie chickens, and they don't really eat the same things that they do. And, you know, it's kind of like, well, let's take Brown Island, for example. When you have Brown Island out there, you have... You have axis deer, psycho deer, some uh, they used to have whitetail out there, and then you have um, fallow deer. You have buffalo, Asian buffalo, American bison, and various other critters that are out there. But each one of them forages completely different than the other. Yeah. So they're not really competing for each other's own food. 
And whitetails are browsers that you know of. I mean, they graze occasionally on certain things, but they're not like cows. They don't sit there with their heads down on the ground for the most part, you know, mowing along like sheep or anything else. Well, and you've got different animals. That was like, a beautiful cow sound. You uh, yeah. <laughs> well, like, I mean, and with, like we said, we've been out to Brom Island. You've been out to places like Brady Ranch and stuff like that. I've had the fortune to go to those places. A lot of the exotics, I guess you could say you could compare them or like billy goats. There's a lot of stuff that our native creatures don't want to eat that they would eat and that they thrive on i mean that's right and then so as long as you don't have them where they're competing over the same thing then uh, they can live in harmony consider brahma island to be that of introducing them into the wild brahma island is oh yeah very different it's a ranch i mean and they're considered livestock that's why if you go out there and you touch anything it's it's poaching just like if you shot somebody's cow off of their ranch it's no no different but these whitetail, the, everybody who ever came to the Americas wanted, when they were introduced to whitetail deer, they were like, man, we'd like to have some of these back home to hunt and do all the other stuff. So they were, they've brought it, been brought into Yugoslavia, Bulgaria. There's still a small population that reigns in Serbia. Germany. And, and on the island off the Croatian coast. The offspring of six animals sold from Finland to Bulgaria in 1977 later died out as did the whitetails move from Finland to areas near Moscow and Leningrad in the 1980s. But the whitetails um, that have been introduced outside of into New Zealand and the West Indies, both of them have actually established populations that can tolerate hunting pressure. Uh, they said the individuals both in New Zealand and the uh, West Indies are small, about half the weight of their American counterparts, so more like a key deer. I mean, they're, they're pretty small. But the whitetail population in Finland is a success story. And this is what's funny. The Finnish immigrants in Minnesota, which there are a lot of, wanted to pay respects to their motherland by sending over seven fawns, three bucks and two does, captured near the city of Virginia, Minnesota. That was right after the Great Depression. With funding, the transfer was a problem. But in August, they were finally able to ship by train to the East Coast, then by ship to Finland, and the four does barely survived an almost four-week trip, uh, and only one of the bucks remained healthy enough as soon as they were released into the three-hectare acre, about eight acres, enclosure in southeast Finland. Reproduction was slow, some casuals were recorded, and in the spring of 1938, some individuals escaped and the rest were let out. And that's where they are today. And now all of them, there's Finland, and they hunt the crud out of them over there in Finland. Yep. I did not know that you, as a guy who wants to go to Hawaii to shoot a turkey, now all of a sudden there's a bucket list. I'd love to go to Finland and shoot a whitetail. No, but I will go. Uh, New Zealand's on the list. Yes. Well, my sister went to New Zealand and said it was just spectacular. It was awesome. It was great. It was fabulous. It was beautiful. And uh, it was the hunts were just Phenomenal. Like the stag and everything else over there. Yeah. I mean, that's. (laughs) It's just, it's one of those things where um, that's not an easy one to get to. That that takes some cash money and, uh, you know, getting all that stuff back is not cheap either. I just have to unbury a couple jars. (laughs) Is that what it is? I don't need to know. (laughs) Well, I I just. I want to know. Don't need to know. (laughs) 
I just, uh, when I read this story, it was one of those ones where you'd like to read it, retain it, and know it so that that information's always there because it's very interesting how those got over there and uh, have now flourished and created a great population. Whereas in other places, they tried extremely hard to make them grow and they wouldn't grow. Just like kind of like in Florida. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You move them and you move them. And, well, I think this was also, if you remember the dates on these, they really didn't know too much about genetics or that they were different subspecies of, of white-tailed deer. You yes. know, most of those are all the Virginia, whatever the scientific name is for them that are over there in Finland, which, uh, you know, are all genus of blank, well, blank, it's blank, like, blank, it, blank, it, blank. It's just like what we're saying here with, you know, where they're relocating them from up there. You're gonna have a bigger, heavier boned, more massive deer because where they are relocating them from, it gets cold. Versus Florida, Texas, that you know, like we were talking about it with Nick with his buck that he shot in Texas. Uh, you know, with with the line across I, there with I Florida and Texas. I really don't and, agree a hundred percent because back when I was young, we'd shoot deer and in the national forest, that deer may be 115 pounds Well, but stretch. I'm just saying, yeah. Okay, but you take that same deer and you go into the farmland. Yeah. Woo! Yeah, he's 200 big old pounds. deer. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> and that's got food to do with it. You, right? get, yeah. you get nutrition and you get age. That deer that we shot when I was young, luckily, if he would make a year and a half. Yeah. Okay? A lot of those deer were shot young. You know, well, it goes so, back to the argument we've had with people. We've all had it in the last two years when they changed the antler restrictions and stuff in the state of Florida to where people had to start shooting two on one side and three on one side and all that. And just little small changes like that. Look at what it's done in it's a created, short time. Created a tremendous uh, deer and it'll just get better and better and better. Uh, talking about that up north, I remember, was it Ken Mays? Somebody, I remember. Went up there to Saskatchewan and shot one of those big giant bruisers up there. I think the thing was like three hundred and something pounds dead yep. on the ground. And I mean, I was like, dude, it's like a cow. There's a deer, a deer a hanging at Arrowhead right now from Canada that I know was, I know seeing pictures of him had to push three fifty. Now and the thing, pounds. I remember the first time I ever cleaned a Missouri deer in the wintertime, and the amount of fat that was between mm-hmm. the muscle and the skin, which you just don't see here, it was quite kind of shocking to see it. It was like beef. You're like, what in the, dude? These are fatty suckers up here, man. <laughs> and now that was in a yeah, moderate they didn't climate. Have it, they wouldn't make it through the winter. Yeah, and but I'm saying that that's a moderate climate. I can only imagine on a 300 something pound white tail out of Saskatchewan. Hey. That's got to be at that, least two, three inches thick on that sucker in some places. That, that Illinois one that y'all seen at my house, he was 220, 230 when I killed him yep. in rut. And I saw pictures when he was healthy, and I'd say he was every bit of 275 <laughs> plus. It's amazing. Well, turkey season here for me. Get him. I'm going to go get me some. Well, bring us back a couple of fried up breasts in two weeks because you won't be here next week. Nope. Go on, have a great weekend, everybody. It's going to be a spectacular weekend. We hope to see you here next Saturday. Big and Wild Outdoors brought to you by Brandon Ford.